Welcome to the BC Podcast, featuring a weekly message from Believer's Church in Warren, Ohio. For more information, visit www.believers.cc. All right, well again, it's so great to see you guys here this morning. I came with some friends, and I want to introduce them to you. Before we get started, I just want to say this. Uh, each of them is, is up here strategically for a purpose. Um, in, in some cases, they're my, my, some of my closest friends, my mentors, my mom, uh, just, just a little bit of everybody. And we could have had 10, 15 others come up here, but we wanted to expose you to some different generations that represent Believer's Church. And we also want to speak to each generation that's in the house this morning. So before we go any further, I thought it'd be helpful for those that are new here if you just got to meet them and got to know them. So we're going to start down at this end and we'll introduce my name is Graham Cathers. I am the pastor of Boardman Campus, which will be starting our first service September 24th. We're excited about that, pumped up about that. And so you won't actually, after this weekend, you won't be seeing me around here anymore, but I will stop in occasionally. Uh, anyways, good to be with you guys today. And um, I'm married to my wife, Lori, uh, for 34 years. Um, she deserves a lot of credit for hanging out with me for 34 years. Trust me, there's more truth than you know in that statement. I have three adult sons, and I guess we are a modern family because I have three sons living in three different states. So I've got Ryan here with me. I've got my middle son, Daniel, living in Conway, Arkansas. And then I've got my oldest son and his wife living in Scottsdale. And uh, so I have two, uh, three full-grown sons, two beautiful daughter-in-laws, and a granddaughter who has yet to show her face, but apparently after the 27th of November, she will. And I want to clarify that it's not Kristen who is pregnant with child. I just want to say that, so people do ask. So anyways, good to be with you. Good morning. Uh, my name is Matt Wilden, part of the lead team here at BC. I oversee our connection teams as well. So uh, been at BC for about 15 years now. Uh, been on staff for about six years or so. Uh, I am married. My wife's name is Ari Ann, and yesterday was our six-year anniversary. So uh, the two of us, we will be out in the lobbies accepting gifts and monetary donations, if you'd like, after service. Uh, so got two kids, have a three-year-old. His name is Isaac, and Jude, he will be two in about a week. So uh, that's us, and excited to be here with you guys this morning. I'm Gina Caminetti. I'm Pastor Joe's wife. I have four adult children and two grandchildren, and so life is real, real good. I work full-time here at the church on the lead team as well, and all is well with the world. And I'm Ryan. I'm our student uh, pastor, and when people hear me say that, it's not that I'm the student that's the pastor. I'm a youth pastor here at BC, just to clarify. Um, I've been married to my wife, Kristen, for 10 months, so I know everything there is to know about marriage. So true. And um, yeah, and if you're newer here, like I said, I'm Joe. I get to serve on our lead team as well. I've been married almost 10 years this December to my beautiful wife, Erin, and we have her two grandkids, Joey and Riley, eight and six years old, and we're living the dream right now. And so um, before we get started, I just thought it would be helpful if I frame this whole conversation today. We're going to lob some really good questions that we've spent some time uh, form formulating and we feel like will help you. Uh, in, in each of your lives and in, in the different stages and seasons that you're in. But I thought it would be helpful just for you to know why we're doing a series about generations. And, and here's, here's the bottom line. We really believe that you cannot write generations out of the Bible. I mean, if you look from start to finish, cover to cover, God, he talks about generations. He's a generational God, and he uses generations to do what he wants his people to do. He works through them. That's why he says things like, I'm the God of 
Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He was being strategic when he said that. And there's all kinds of, of different scriptures that prove this point. But here's one that I love. It's Psalm 145.4. Listen to this. Generation after generation stands in awe of your work. Each one tells stories of your mighty acts. And so here's what tends to happen in churches and with God's people by default. It's very easy to watch God do something amazing in our life, but it's also very easy. There's this gravitational pull to let it stop there. And it's just kind of easy to, to, to be like, yeah, God did something back then, but I'm not confident he can do it through you now or in the future. But this is God's plan that not only would he do something incredible in our lives, but that we would turn to the next generation and we would tell them the stories of what God has done and how faithful he's been. And then here's the coolest part, that our ceiling would become their floor and that they would actually be able to stand on our shoulders and do greater things. I don't know about you, but that's my hope and prayer for my kids, just the way it was for my parents with us. I want to see them do greater things. I want to see God's church grow and expand in his kingdom uh, reign on the earth, and I want them to be leading the charge, and we want your kids and your students to be there as well. And so that's God's plan and his blueprint, and I want to point this out. Our, our culture is so intentional about not just reaching, but even sometimes, if we're honest, indoctrinating the next generation. I mean, I want you to listen to this quote by Bob Pittman. I've quoted this for years because it kind of blows me away that he said it, and he wasn't ashamed about it. He was the executive, uh, one of the executives for MTV, and this was 1982 when MTV was just getting its start. Listen to this. If you can get their emotions going, he's talking about your students, make them forget their logic, you've got them. At MTV, we don't shoot for the 14-year-olds, we own them. Now, I was blown away when I heard that, and then you start to think about this reality that they own these, these channels like Nickelodeon, right? And your kids from the youngest of ages they are getting spoon-fed this diet that our culture wants them to hear and wants them to think. And it's no wonder that when they grow up, they end up adopting those principles and those views, the morality that our world says they should have. They're intentional. Now, I don't often quote Adolf Hitler, but, but when I do, <laughs> when I do, um, this is an interesting quote. He, he alone who owns the youth gains the future. That's why Hitler Youth was such a big deal, because, you know, I probably can't influence the 60 and 70 year olds in Germany, but I bet I bet I can teach the five year old how I want them to think. And I bet I can change tomorrow by affecting them today. And you know who else does this beautifully, masterfully? The, the enemy, Satan. He's really good at it. And if you ever if you ever notice, he loves to attack the younger generations. One of my favorite quotes is, is from Joel Stockstill, and he says that the enemy tries to kill in infancy, what he knows he cannot kill in maturity. And you can see this all throughout the Bible. I mean, look at the, the generation where Moses was born. The enemy doesn't know the beginning from the end, but he knew something was brewing, and he saw the Israelites begin to gain steam, and their numbers were increasing, and that made him nervous. So what does he do? Well, he uses Pharaoh to kill off an entire firstborn generation of boys because he knew if I can kill them now, I'll stop them from their potential later. And who else did he do this to? When Jesus comes on the scene, the enemy uses Herod and tries to do the exact same thing. And obviously it changed the story and the history of the world itself. And so I want to ask you, who are the people, the leaders of tomorrow that right now, today, we are influencing and God has actually given us the responsibility and the privilege to train them up in the way they should go so that when they grow old, they won't depart from it. And it's why we're so passionate about core values like we are generational. 
Because here's what I can tell you. A lot of churches are doing an amazing job at reaching the older generation, and a lot of churches are doing an amazing job at reaching the younger. Very few are reaching both. And here's what the enemy would love. He would love to pit them against each other. And he would love for us to fight over things that don't matter and to struggle and have this tension and be distracted from our purpose. And so I wanted you to just kind of hear our heart and why we do series like this. This is not a series just to to fight for things that don't matter and, and to knock you over the head and say, be nicer to younger people or be nicer to older people. It's not our heart. We, we want to work together to see a city and far beyond that connected with God. And we believe we are in such a time as this where it's like our job and our responsibility in the world is waiting on us to kind of get our act together. And I just want to brag on Believer's Church and say, you guys have been a generational church from the, from the get-go. And I was raised in an environment where people that were 30 and 40 and 50 years older than me believed in me. So I just want to say thank you. Can you give yourselves a hand that you're a part of a church, man, that believes in and empowers the next generation? So I'm going to, I'm going to turn it over to our student pastor, Ryan. And I think it's helpful as we head into this conversation today for us to just understand the climate in our culture when it comes to especially the younger generation, millennials and uh, Generation Z, or they also call them Generation IY, who was born from 2000 and on. So I'm going to turn it over to him and he'll explain. Yeah. And so, you know, as we have this conversation about how we can effectively bridge the gap between generations, I think it's really important to understand that every generation grows up in a different culture and that it's almost like the air we breathe. We don't always realize what we're breathing in. And right now, the generation that is being raised up is being is growing up in the world that we've created. I want you to understand that we've created a world and because of the world we've created, there are certain things that just seem so natural. And so um, Tim Elmore in his book, Generation IY, created this really cool uh, acronym called SCENE. And this is things that the world is full of, that all of us would agree that the world is full of. And because of that, there are certain things that the next generation may assume. And so one of the things that the world is full of is speed. Um, All of us would admit that everything is getting faster and we're working really hard to innovate so that things can move quicker. And so one of the things in a world that is full of speed is that young people may assume that slow is bad. And I can say this, if you want to see people at their most frustrated, just watch them staring at their phones and they're like, this isn't loading fast enough. You know, you can see the steam coming from the ears. Uh, I've never seen someone complain because something loaded too fast. And so that is, we can assume that slow is bad. Another thing that this world is full of is convenience. And because of that, young people can assume that hard is bad. In fact, when I talk to many educators, when I talk to people and you kind of hear their stories, one of the things that they say is that the main complaint we're hearing is that from our students and our teenagers, this is too hard. And uh, I'm sure a lot of teachers just amen that right now. But the, the thing is, is we, we've kind of grown up with this idea that, well, hard must be bad. And so because of that convenience, we assume hard is bad. The next thing that we're, our world is full of is entertainment. And so the assumption can be that boring is bad. Now, I've never seen a generation that got excited about being bored. But what studies will tell us and what researchers are finding is that boredom is actually the place where really some key characteristics are formed. In fact, creativity can be cultivated when you're bored. And empathy can be cultivated when you're bored. And so we have a generation that is constantly stimulated. They've yet to really be bored. Um, And because of that, they're having to deal with some issues where maybe they've yet to really develop some of that creativity and empathy, which is so necessary. Um, You know, our world is full of nurture. 
And because the world is full of nurture, we can assume that risk is bad. And admittedly, there are some risks that are very bad, but risk can also be the bridge between where you are today and the greatness that's ahead. And so as a generation, if A, we assume that all risks are bad, then we may never get to the full potential. Or B, we may not know how to accurately judge the risk. Is it a good risk to take? Is it a bad risk to take? And so we may just make terrible risk decisions. And so we have to be able to understand that it's not just helicopter parents is not the goal. We're looking to create an environment where people can actually take healthy risk in order for themselves to grow. And then the final thing is entitlement. The world is full of entitlement. And because of that, we've assumed that labor is bad. And my generation gets, we're, we're kind of showing our true colors in this a little bit in the sense that, um, you know, you hear these horror stories of, you know, people going in for interviews and, you know, they don't get the job because during the whole interview they were texting. And then after they don't get the job, their mom calls the employer and says, hey, how come my son didn't get the job? He's a really, really good worker. And you're like, um, he didn't earn it. He didn't even show up, you know, and um, we kind of assume that we should have this position without ever putting in the work or the hours that it takes. And so um, my generation is definitely guilty of that. And so we, we're so entitled that we think, oh, well, labor must be bad. And so these things are not, man, inherently, they're not bad things to be have a world that is full of these things. But we have to understand what we're working with in order to really address it, to, to be able to move forward and, and help each generation get the most out of what they're called to do. Yeah, that's really helpful. So I want to dive into some questions. And the first group of people that we want to address and maybe help are our parents. And um, I'm sure there are parents at every stage here. And so um, if you guys could just um, kind of bear with us in the, in the segments that maybe don't directly apply to you, because I think there are some future parents in the house, and maybe just take some notes and put it on the shelf for later, because you'll dust it off and you will need it. Um, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn it over to Matt here. And you know, one of the things that uh, Matt did with his wife, Arianne, a couple semester, uh, semesters ago is they went through this really helpful book about some of the big mistakes that parents uh, could, could avoid if they were aware of them. And so Matt, why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so the book is called 12 Huge Mistakes Parents Can Avoid. Uh, and it's by a guy named Tim Elmore that Ryan referenced earlier with Generation IY. So absolutely awesome book. Um, feel like I learned so much reading that book, probably more than I have in the last three years of, of being a parent. So uh, incredible book. Encourage any of you guys that are parents to read it. But I think to answer your question, Joe, uh, probably the biggest challenge that I see parents facing today is just uh, a failure for us as parents to really uh, prepare our children for adulthood. Uh, the author, he talks about two different sets of messages that we need to really communicate to our children to properly prepare them for adulthood. And the first message he calls the early childhood message, and that's from ages like birth to 10 years old. And that's basically where we let them know their love, that they're valuable, that they have gifts, that they're, they're talented, and uh, we're gonna provide for them, they're special. And the second set of message, message, the second message that we need to communicate to them, it happens during the adolescent years, and that's basically where we make a shift in the message, let them know that life can be difficult sometimes. You're not really as great as you think you are. Um, you know, life is gonna throw you curveballs sometimes. It's gonna be, uh, you're gonna face adversity, and life's not all about you. But what tends to happen 
that there needs to be a shift where we go from that early childhood message to the adolescent message. But our loving nature as parents, we just continue to feed our children that uh, early childhood message, and then our, our children aren't properly prepared when they face the real world. I know I was there myself, and it's a, it's a rude awakening. Uh, so we need to make sure we're really communicating the correct message to our, our children. Yeah, that's so helpful. So we talked about how it's a very nurturing world today, right? I mean, um, none of us want our kids to go through bad things. That's a natural desire as a parent. But sometimes what can happen is the default mode can be, I want my kids, their goal is happiness. And sometimes that's a tension we actually need to wrestle with because happiness shouldn't always be the goal. Talk to us a little bit about that, Matthew. Yeah, and it sounds so counterintuitive to hear that happiness shouldn't be our goal for our children as parents because I know I've said it, and what parent hasn't said, all I want is for my kids to be happy. But really the issue lies in making that the primary goal because happiness it's a byproduct of making wise decisions, of living a life that's about other people and serving people. So really our uh, primary goal as parents really should be to help our children make wide, wise decisions. And we never wanna sacrifice our children's long-term happiness for short-term satisfaction. And here's what I mean by that. Uh, just a quick story. My son Isaac, he is three years old and Isaac, loves watching TV. Isaac this morning came in our bedroom at 6.40 this morning and said, Daddy, can I watch a show? And Isaac, he would be, his idea of a perfect day would be to watch TV from the time he wakes up till the time he goes to bed. And as a parent, I know that's obviously not healthy for him to watch TV all day long. So at some point, I need to be a good parent and pull the plug and say, no, TV's done, and I need to sacrifice his short-term satisfaction so that he can have long-term happiness uh, over the course of his life uh, and not develop those, those bad habits. And let me tell you, a three-year-old, he knows how to throw a tantrum when you say no to him. Uh, so the author actually gives us in the book, there's a few things that he talks about that we can do uh, to really help our children make wise decisions. So the first thing that he talks about uh, that our children need to see from us is the word watch. And it's all about us really setting an example and showing us, showing our kids how to serve, how to serve other people and how to be fulfilled and how to experience true happiness. The second thing they need to hear is the word wait. Uh, you know, we live in this world of instant gratification where everything's available at our fingertips every second of every day. And I think when we have to wait for something, it really builds a certain muscle inside of us. It makes us appreciate the things that we have even more. And, uh, you know, it's just good for us to wait sometimes. And then the next thing that he talks about is the word no. Um, you know, our children need need role models. My son, Isaac, he doesn't he needs to hear, no, you can't watch TV all day long. He has plenty of friends, but he only has one father. And I feel like I owe that to him, to, to tell him no sometimes in life. And then the last thing is, is serve. And um, it's all about us showing our kids really how to be contributors rather than consumers and modeling this life of servanthood in front of them. Yeah, that's, that's really helpful. Uh, you know, I, I want to shift the conversation a little bit to some parents that uh, they have lived to tell the story. They, they have grown kids that are all serving God. They have really, really, really great kids. And um, I kid. But um, no, I, I just, uh, I think it's interesting because when, you know, I have two kids myself and one of the first things you realize, I mean, as infants, you start to see their personalities and just how different they are. 
And there is just no such thing as, you know, one, one size fits all for kids and for parenting. So can, can you, Pastor Graham and Pastor Gina, can you guys speak to how do you uniquely guide your kids in this journey? Yeah. Um, I just want to say, first of all, if you're a grandparent, aunt, uncle, cousin, whatever, you're important too. You're part of that support system for helping us raise our kids. But I would say one of the things that my parents kind of made really known to us, I guess we would call it a core value, is in our family, they just made it very clear that we don't have favorites. We don't play favorites. And uh, we see how devastating that can be when people do that. Now, what happens sometimes is maybe one child's personality is a little bit more like you and you can relate to them better, but you have to realize God doesn't stamp our children out of cookie cutters. They're unique. They're created in the image and the likeness of God. And so there's something in them that's an expression of God. If you wanna know what God is like, just look around this room this morning because all of you are part of his expression. You're created in his image. But their wiring can be very different. So for instance, uh, my oldest son, you know, he's, he's a very sharp individual, very smart, always has been. Um, and I can remember, you know, I would take him out and try to show him how to swing a bat. And he played baseball from maybe T-ball all the way through like seventh or eighth grade. But I could spend hours trying to show him how to turn his hips and all these things and get into a swing. And he only got so far. Now, Ryan, who was six years younger, could watch me for 10 seconds and have it mastered. But that was part of his intelligence. You know, athleticism is, that's an intelligence they're now finding out. That's a certain type of intelligence. But now my oldest son, when we first moved to California, he was going into fifth grade and he hacked into his aunt's computer in less than 60 seconds in fifth grade. He built his own computer at age like 12. He built his own website at 14, you know, and he's a computer scientist today. So he's brilliant in a different way. And then I have my middle son and he doesn't really care about a lot of that stuff. He's not super attracted to all the sports and all that, but super creative kid. Like I remember coming home and his goal at age three was to be a Disney animator, if you can believe that. He wanted to just draw all day. And I remember looking at a picture that he drew at at age three and I'm like, come on, he didn't draw this, Lori, you helped him. She's like, no, he drew this. And so one of the things that I learned was I can't always expect every child to be like me. And one of my jobs is to not wait for them to come into my world, but I need to get into their world, which means that if they're interested in something that I'm not, guess what, I'm now interested. So when he wanted to be an animator, guess what we did? We got like, you know, uh, Beauty and the Beast book castle. We bought a big poster board and he and I sat down and drew that castle together. And, his half looked amazing and mine looked like stick figures. It was horrible, but, but you know what? I was in his world. And so I think it's really important for us as parents to, to enter into their world and to become part of their world and just help to bring out that greatness. And that's a term that can be overused, but I would challenge us to look at our Bibles and I would challenge us to, to see if Jesus did not say that greatness in the kingdom was in fact available to every person in this room. That means it's available to our kids. So we want to groom them for that. And uh, I'd like to put a plug in also for the Big Brother, Big Sister program. Some of you maybe are at empty nest stage like Pastor Joe and I. And uh, talk to me after service if it interests you at all to kind of pour your life into the next gen that way. We've been doing it for over six years. And it's very, very uh, fulfilling and rewarding. But anyway, so with my four children, um, you know, they have become adults that I not only love, but I like. But the process of that happening came with more of a messy, untidy 
process than it did some kind of a neat formula that just worked one size fits all. Not only was it messy and unpredictable for them, but it was messy and unpredictable for me because I didn't know how to parent each one of them and there was a learning curve for each stage and each personality. And so like my husband and I laugh and say if we had only parented our daughters who were pretty easygoing and really aimed to please us, we would have thought we were just fabulous parents. Uh, but, but our boys were kind of, um, they had really, really strong leadership gifting and they had very, very strong wisdom and um, from the minute Joe was born, uh, the minute I met him, <laughs> he was like, I am challenging your parenting decision on how you're feeding me, when you're feeding me. I mean, it was just really funny. Um, Dave, uh, so Joe was kind of in our face constantly, you know, and we had to take that leadership skill. He gave me permission to say this. Um, we had to take that leadership skill and help him learn servant leadership. Dave uh, was incredibly strong-willed, but a little more stealth in how he approached life. So my biggest stories about uh, life and childhood uh, misfortunes came really more from Dave um, because you had to be watching with Dave. So like, um, you know, having four kids in five years, sometimes you would just be exhausted as a mom. And you, you, so, you know, nap time was real important. And, you know, with the girls, like Michelle, I'd put her down for a nap and, you know, have to check her to make sure she was breathing because she would nap, you know. Um, Deanna, one time I painted her nails before I laid her down for the nap and the whole nap, she laid there like this so they wouldn't get messed. I mean, you didn't have to watch, you know. Now, uh, with Dave one day, um, I, I just thought, I am so desperate. I'm going to lay down while these kids lay down. And uh, I hear some kind of real loud banging noise coming. And I'm thinking, you should probably get up and check on this. But the lazy parent in me thought, no, that's construction outside. <laughs> so I didn't. I did not get up. <laughs> and so uh, a week later, uh, I hear my husband bellowing from the basement, David! <laughs> and here David had taken some kind of blunt object like a hammer, I don't know how he got it, another parenting fail possibly, and we had seven safes down in the basement. We'd put a year of uh, financial paperwork in each and lock it all up, and he hammered off the locks of seven of them, all because he had it in his mind that his dad had hidden a BB gun in one of them. And so, you know, you just didn't want to turn your back. Another time I had decided he was old enough to write thank you cards for his birthday gifts, and he decided he was not old enough to do that. And so I made him sit in the dining room for about three hours. We, I was going to win that battle. He was going to write thank you notes. The next day I look, and the wallpaper in there had like magic marker going all the way around the room. So you didn't turn your back on Dave, you know? But um, again, you're cultivating leadership skill, you're cultivating the wiring they have in God, and you're learning as a parent. So there's no formula that says, do this this way, and it will automatically work. But God is working with us, and in our weakness, his power is made perfect, and so that all happens in the timing it happens, but we have to just have a relationship with God where we seek his wisdom and seek his help, and he'll work all the rest of it out. Yeah, that's, that's really helpful. You know, we, we talked about how intentional our culture is in reaching and indoctrinating our kids. And so I think uh, just having some people on the panel that have kids that are serving God and still love Jesus, 
um, it'd be interesting just to hear, how, how do you raise kids to love Jesus in a world that doesn't? I, I'd love, Pastor Graham, maybe for you to answer that. Yeah, you know, I mean, hey, as Pastor Gina said, it's challenging, man, and we just have to kind of constantly lean on God, right? Because there are no perfect parents here. You know what I mean? We, we make mistakes. Uh, we're not perfect. Um, but, you know, one of the things that I did was um, I grew up in Los Angeles, and I was part of LA Unified School District. And uh, my high school had a 50% dropout rate for the senior class every year. So I was convinced that when I moved back to Los Angeles, I would try to put my kids into private school, Christian school, which I did. Um, have me know there's just a lot of stuff going on in Christian schools too. And uh, I can remember, you know, my kids would come home and say, we're the only kids that aren't allowed to, and you go ahead and fill in the blank. So I remember my, my one son came home and uh, he's like, you know, um, all the other kids at school get to listen to whatever radio stations they want. And, and I, I saw this group on TV and I really want their album. And right away, I mean, Lori and I were pretty, you know, kind of had a pretty black and white line and we were like, no. And then I just, I stopped later and I talked to Lori. I said, you know what, Lori? I said, I was kind of raised in a church that their major, the major word of the day was thou shalt not. I was raised in a church of thou shalt not. And I said, you know, that kind of produced a rebellion in my heart at a certain point. I turned away from God. And I said, you know, our son is a really good kid. He'll actually listen to us. He'll do what we say. But I, what I'm concerned about is that at some point, a little bit of rebellion is going to rise up because he's going to start asking why. How many know when your kids are little and they come and they say, why should I do this? You say, because I said so. Anybody ever use that line in this room? Because I said so, right? But hey, you know, there is a point at which because I said so doesn't work anymore. And what that means is you have to involve them in the process because it tells us in Hebrews 5.12 that we develop discernment through practice between good and evil. So they have to learn how to discern and exercise. And so I said, hey, you know what? Here's what we're going to do. I want you to download the lyrics of every song on that album. And your mom and I and you are going to read them together. We did that. And honestly, there was only one song that was questionable, had some bad lyrics in it. And we just said, you know what? Hey, we're going to do something. We're going to trust you. We're going to trust you. And we're going to trust you to do the right thing. We're going to say, you can get that album. You can go ahead and buy that album. But if we catch you listening to song number 11, we're going to yank it. And you know what? That was just a great growing exercise because he was part of the process. And he had a chance to think through, well, why should I not listen to everything that comes on the radio? I mean, I know a lot of our young people love rap, but Let's be honest, and I'm not here to put down rap, young people, but bottom line is some of that stuff is pretty nasty, right? So we gotta be discerning about what kind of rap we wanna listen to. Yeah, that's really helpful. Um, you know, I wanna shift the conversation to Ryan now. As the student pastor, you're seeing what, what students are up against. It's not the same world that we grew up in. And uh, I think it's so helpful when I'm talking to you just to hear how parents and grandparents, aunts and uncles, can partner with you and with their students to help them walk through this culture that we live in. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, I love the fact that you said the word partner because that's really the goal that God designed when he made not only the local church, but when he made the family unit. And you have to know that God cares so much about families. Like that is such a huge part of his heart. But I just wanna say this, if the only spiritual leadership that your kid, grandkid, uh, nephew is getting is from church, then they are fighting an uphill battle. And so we just want to say families is where the spiritual traction is gained the most. But with that said, 
if the only place they're getting is in the family, we wanna come alongside of you as the local body of the church and to really help propel what God wants to do in the life of your young person. And I can just say this, that there, there's something that we've just noticed over time is that there's certain points in a life, and it maybe isn't for long seasons, sometimes it's right as they hit that high school age, where the very things you say don't go as far in your student's life as someone else saying it. And maybe you've had this happen to you where you say something, they totally disregard it. Somebody else says the exact same thing and they're like, well, that's a great idea. And you're like, are you kidding me? I'm gonna, you know, and, and here's what we've learned about that, that that's actually not a problem. That's something that we can leverage together. And so our goal as a church, whether it be with our kids ministries, whether it be with our youth ministries, is to bring the church and the family together to really combine and leverage every resource we have. And so I just wanna say this as parents, you know, um, you may not have um, huge networks of people where you can get your, your young person around godly people. And I can just promise you that no youth group or no children's ministry is gonna be filled with perfect people. In fact, it's gonna be a lot of imperfect people but you're at least surrounding them with people who can have God on their radar, as Pastor Gina always likes to say. Like when you come to a church, at least that's gonna be on the radar. And we really believe this strongly around here that like if you show us your friends, we'll show you your future, right? You're the average of your five closest friends. In fact, studies are actually showing that the people you hang around, that your brain waves begin to mirror. And I don't know if that scares some of you like it scares me, but who am I hanging around? That's how my brain is beginning to morph into. And so as young people, man, that's such an impressionable stage. We want to create areas and things where they can come into, not only into relationships with God, where they can come into relationships with healthy people. People who, who have man, mentorships, who've been there, done that, that can speak into their life. Young people who maybe not are, they're not perfect, but they can kind of join with them in this journey and going together. And I remember as I came to Christ, one of the major things that was huge in my life was my family support, but then there was also a lot of my friends at the exact same time who did that same thing. And so I wanna just say this, that you may be someone says, oh, well, our schedule is, is so tough and we have a lot going on. And I just wanna say, I noticed from my parents that they always made church the priority. And I played baseball, I did a lot of things, and I could say that there were a lot of opportunities that I missed because we said, hey, we're gonna be at church on a Sunday morning and I'm not gonna, you're not gonna be playing travel ball for that. Um, you're gonna be at your youth group. But what I noticed, it's almost like with the tithe, when you give God your first and your best, God actually makes a way with the rest. And so God opened up a lot of opportunities, took me a lot further than I probably should have gone with the amount of things. And so I just really believe that's because my parents made a decision that I was gonna have God first in my life. And so I wanna just even say to you, are you utilizing the things? Are you leveraging the things that this church has to offer to come alongside your family? Whether it be the kids ministry, whether it be youth ministry, the adult mentors that can be brought in in all those situations. We wanna partner with you to really help you raise the type of young person that you want to raise, that God wants you to, to raise, you know? That's awesome. And I can just, if I can brag on my parents, and I know Pastor Graham and Lori were the same exact way, there were so many moments in my life where my life could have taken a hard left turn. I could have been somewhere I shouldn't have been, but because there was such a structure and there was such a support system in my life through my youth pastor and youth leaders, through my friends who thought the same way and weren't perfect, but were on the same trajectory, it really, it helped me and spared me of a lot of pain and a lot of problems. And so I love that the Bible, I mean, it talks about this over and over again. It says better is one day in God's house than a thousand anywhere else, right? 
I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. And so I always say, when we get into God's house, God gets into our house. I mean, it just happens as a byproduct. And so I just want to thank my parents. And I'm going to model my parenting after them with my kids. And can I tell you something? We so love church that at times, I wouldn't recommend this for everybody, but we were grounded from going to student group. We cared about it that much. Like it was a bummer to us that we could not come. And so we just want you to know, we put time and energy and blood, sweat and tears, prayer into how super kids and Paramount and Kids Forgot, how they look, what they're doing to your kids. And, and sometimes half the battle is just telling them, hey, you're coming here and then, then God does the rest. So, so thank you for partnering with us and we wanna help you any way we can. And so here's, here's where I want to end. Um, Pastor Graham, I know that there are probably some parents here who would say, Joe, like, that ship has sailed long ago. Like, I, I'm, my kids are old and grown. I did not serve God when I was raising them. I've made all kinds of mistakes, whatever it might be. What would you say to, to that person? Yeah, I would just say, you know what, it's not over. Um, I, I was one of those kids that, that fell away from the church. You know, my siblings fell away from the church. Uh, we were lost far from God and I'm here today honestly because of the power of prayer You know, I know that a lot of people um, You know when they pray they're not always sure that it's working because you don't always see things on your timetable But I know Psalm 56 8 says that God has every tear Listed in his book and God's not OCD, but he has an amazing memory Tears are really a form of prayer, aren't they? Sometimes when you don't have words and you don't quite know how to put something, the emotion's so deep, you're so grieved that all that comes out is a tear. God records that as a prayer. But one of the things about the prayers that we pray is we might forget about the prayers that we're praying for our kids, grandkids, but God has not forgotten. And I think one of the most encouraging stories, and I wanna encourage you this morning, is found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter one, verse 13, where an angel appears to Zacharias, the husband, of Elizabeth. Elizabeth is gone through menopause. You know, she's already past childbearing age. And the angel comes to Zechariah and says, don't be afraid. I've, be I've come here because of your prayers and your wife is gonna bear a child. And the Bible says he couldn't believe it. Like it was just like, his, he couldn't wrap his head around it so the angel just shut his mouth. So he couldn't undo what God wanted to do. And the amazing thing is if you read that the way it should translate in our language, I'm here because of the prayers that you stopped praying long ago. So you might've given up. You might've forgotten about what you pray, but God has not and God is faithful. And if you're praying for your children, no matter what their age is today, whether they're 18 or 52, God is working. You can't always see it with these eyes, but he's working in that unseen realm. So be encouraged today that even if you've forgotten some of the great prayers that you've prayed over your kids, God has not. And he is going to answer because it's impossible for us to pray and not have something happen. So be encouraged. Isn't that so good? Can we give it up for our panel and just thank them for everything they sowed into us? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes, and we're going to just end with a moment of prayer. You know, I really believe that if you're not dead, you're not done. And God has a plan for you that's bigger than you'd ever give him credit for. And sometimes it just takes us surrendering to him in that moment, saying, God, I'll, I'll be used by you, even if I've failed in the worst way imaginable. And God knows exactly what your shortcomings are, and he loves you despite them, and he wants to use you despite them. So I want you to just, in, in your own words, it could be quiet enough for no one else to hear you, but make that right with God. Commit that to God. Maybe there's a, a child, maybe there's 
a grandson, a granddaughter, a niece, a nephew. Just lift their name up. God, we thank you that this is a church that's called to reach every generation. And we thank you that there are students and kids, maybe not even born yet, that are going to be the future of what you do in and through Believer's Church. We thank you for those that are represented by their relatives and their family in this room. And we thank you that your Holy Spirit's already going ahead of us into their hearts and softening their hearts. Send people across their path. Send people that can speak the truth to them because the truth sets us free. In Jesus' name. Hey, everyone's heads bowed and eyes closed for just one moment more. If you're here and you can honestly say, Joe, I've heard about Jesus. I've heard about God. Maybe I've grown up in church or maybe I've grown up in America where church is pretty common. But I can honestly not tell you that I remember a moment when I made Jesus the Lord of my life. We always say it this way. Salvation is like surrender. So when's the moment when you said, Jesus, you're in the driver's seat. Jesus, take the wheel of my life because I don't want to control it anymore. And Jesus made this statement about himself. In a world that says there's all kinds of different ways to heaven and it's just your flavor of the truth, Jesus said, no, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life, and no one comes to my Father in heaven except through me. I'm the gate, I'm the door. And so if you can't remember a moment when you said, Jesus, I call you Lord, this isn't, this isn't about where you're baptized or where you go to church. All of those are great things. This is about your eternal salvation in that moment when you said, I'm gonna follow Jesus I am a Christian. So if God's been stirring in your heart and you want to make that decision, I can tell you it's the most important decision you'll ever make in your entire life. And I want to lead you in a simple prayer because the Bible says in Romans, if we believe in our heart, we say with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, we'll be saved. And so there are so many people that have already prayed this prayer. They're going to help us. But would you repeat this after me? Say, dear God, thank you for Jesus and this sacrifice he made for me. Thank you that he lived a perfect life because I couldn't. He died on the cross and took my punishment and my sin upon him. And he forgave me and he loved me. And Lord, now I give you my life. I won't be perfect, but every day I'll take a step. Jesus, I call you Savior. I call you Lord. I am a Christian. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the BC Podcast. Follow us at A City Connected on Twitter and Instagram to stay updated, inspired, and encouraged.